Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast. Hello and welcome, this is Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast. Click subscribe and follow if you've not done so already, because there's a new show every single day. In fact, it's not just a new show every single day, there's a new show every single morning, and there's a mini show with Football Social Daily shots every afternoon, keeping you up to date with everything that's going on in the top flight. I'm Jim Salverson, on the podcast with me today, Niall McCorn, how are you doing, Niall? I'm very well, how are you? Very chirpy for a Monday, (laughs) and Joel as well, how are you doing, Joel? I'm good, I'm good. Loads to talk about on today's podcast. Gareth Southgate is announcing his England squad for the Qatar World Cup on Thursday, but there's still some big question marks over the fitness of certain key players. We're going to be joined by injury analyst Ben Dinnery shortly, who's going to give us the lowdown on who is a crock and who might be fit for the World Cup 2022. There's also breaking news this morning on Football Social Daily. We've just heard that Southampton boss Ralph Hasenhutl has been given the boot. Old Rabbit Hutch is no longer the (laughs) boss on the South Coast. So we're going to be talking about who might be replacing him shortly as well. And as it's a Monday, we'll have a moan too with our regular Monday feature, Get in the Sea, throwing something in the sea that's wound us up over the weekend. That is actually going to be relegated to the end of the podcast today, Get in the Sea, because of the news that Southampton have parted with Ralph Hausenhutl. His name translates as Rabbit Hutch, by the way, if you didn't know, in Austrian, Hausenhutl means Rabbit Hutch. I'm not just being offensive. That's the actual literal translation of his name. But he is no longer Southampton manager. It was kind of speculated last night, Niall, that he was going to go. It's Mm. now been confirmed. The Athletic broke the story. It comes after their 4-1 loss to Newcastle. That appears to be the straw that broke the camel's back. Is it the right call, though? Oh, I think asking a Pompey fan whether... (laughs) Should the Southampton manager be sacked is is a difficult one for me to answer. Uh, It's hard to say because this has been on the cards for a while, hasn't it? I mean, Mm. you said that the rumours were were speculated last night and there was a report in The Athletic saying that Southampton have decided to make a change from Ralph Hasenhurtl and they were willing to give him up to the World Cup, but they've decided to pull the trigger a little bit early. I'm sure we'll come on to that, but it has been spoken about even since the start of the season. There were some reports that 
that sort of emanated from the South Coast that suggested that the players had kind of lost faith in mm. Ralph Hasenhurtl. Um, but I've seen them a couple of times this season. I saw them at St. Mary's against Manchester United. I saw them away at Leicester City as well, a game in which they were 1-0 down. They turned it around to win. It was their first away win since February in the Premier League. So, you know, if you think about that statistic alone and that uh, Leicester-Southampton game I think was way back in September or maybe even the end of August if you think that that was their first away win since February I think that shows you that there's been problems there with Ralph Hasenhurtl and the run that Southampton have been on uh, in general I think that mm. under his tenure you've got to remember because you can't really forget they lost 9-0 to Leicester a few years ago they lost 9-0 to Manchester United for a manager to survive one 9-0 defeat look at Scott Parker just down the road at Bournemouth lost 9-0 mm. to Liverpool uh, pay for it with his job, albeit there were other factors yeah, at play there. more to do with his comments after it, that. Yeah, it, that it was, but I mean, the, the history books will say, lose 9-0, get the sack. And it's not the first time we've seen that happen to a manager, but for it to happen to him twice and live on through it and actually probably be considered a decent manager for it. Mm. Um, I think it shows that he has been able to overcome adversity. So there's been question marks there about him for years, really. Um, and maybe, like you say, it is the straw that broke the camel's back. The defeat to Newcastle United at the weekend was a handsome defeat. I mean, without sounding too vulgar here, Newcastle were taking the proverbial mm. pee out of Southampton at times. The four-one uh, scoreline was actually uh, quite kind to Southampton. <laughs> I think, I think so. Yeah, um, they were playing around them. They were running rings around them. It was a, a really accomplished performance from Newcastle United. It looked really impressive, I must say. But is it the right decision? I guess we'll wait and see. If they stay up, then you have to say yes. At the moment, they've dropped into the relegation zone. They're 18th. They've got an extremely young squad. I think that that's worth bearing in mind. You've got to think of some of the players they signed in the summer. Bella Kotchap's only 21. Looks a real player, by the way, but he's been missing for the last few weeks with injuries. Just come back. Uh, Romeo Lavia is 18 years old. Um, they've signed Sekou Mara as well, who's only, think, 21 or 19, something like that. Gavin Bazunu, the goalkeeper. I saw him get some stick this weekend for conceding four against Newcastle. He's only 19, 20 years of age. He's extremely young as far as mm. goalkeepers go. So he's got a very young squad. The investment probably hasn't quite been there. And as we say in the Premier League, if you stand still, you're going to get overtaken. And at the moment, Southampton are in a bad spot and they've decided to make the switch. Are you surprised by the timing, Joel? Not least because there are just two matches left before the World Cup and it would seem that Clubs that are going to make changes are probably going to make them during that period. But also, we're only 15 games into the season. It's still early. And yet, Hasenhutl is the fifth Premier League manager to get the boots. That's 25% of Premier League managers dumped in the first 15 games of the season. It's pretty much unheard of. But the timing from Southampton's point of view, it, it kind of feels strange as well. I know we're already halfway there to the record amount of sackings in a season, which is 10, which happened in a few seasons, actually. I said I don't think we're going to get to that level, but I think we speculated about this a few weeks ago of the strategy of the owners when it's coming to probably one of the most unique seasons we've ever seen, which is a Winter World Cup and how it'll influence the sackings of managers and what they're going to do after it, if they're going to stick or twist. And I think in this situation, had there not been a World Cup, I think they still would have stuck by him. And the reason for that is history shows is that they were willing to stick by him in the difficult moments, like Niall said. Two 9-0 defeats. I mean, it doesn't matter how many you concede, it's just the manner of it and the fact that it happened twice. And the fact that they did it both times shows to me that they were so invested in what he was trying to build. Especially when you see in the summer, you know, like, like, like Niall had said again, the age of all the players that they were signing, like three kids from the City Academy, then you had a, yeah, Mara from Bordeaux, 
Kochap, who just got his first Germany call-up. These are not poor players. They're just young players who need a lot of time. Mm. And the owners were definitely invested in what he was trying to do. It's just the fact that he is a manager of Southampton and when things go bad, they will get bad very quickly. It's not mm. like if you get young players at United or you get young players at City, you've got a little bit of time because you've got quality around them. Yeah. It's the fact that they're waiting for these players to all blossom at the same time. And that might not come until 2027 when they're all at their peak. Yeah. And that's the issue he's had, unfortunately. And I think the owners have looked at it and thought, you know what? We've backed you so much. This is why I have sympathy for the owners in this occasion, because I know we're really critical of them when it comes to managers and how fast they are to get rid after a little poor run of form. But it's the fact that they've actually stuck by him in very mm. difficult moments when every single person, every single part of the media were like, oh, he's gone. It's, it's it's gone. Ha has he done a bad job? I was though? about to ask that. Has he done a good job? It's the, because right, so what's the what's the ambition for Southampton? A team that up. under Pochettino were finishing in the European stay spots. Up. It has to be staying That's up. That's it. And he's finished 11th in his first season, uh -huh. 14th, in the two preceding seasons and now obviously she says in the relegation zone but it's early days I think that's a good job for Southampton because considering the amount of money they spend and the amount of players they sell yes and they were always traditionally a club that would only just stay up yeah. even in the Letizia days where he was basically single-handedly keeping them up in the Premier League and I think when you think about the players that Joel's mentioned the players that they've got their best player is probably James Ward-Prowse. Would we all agree with that? Yeah. He's probably Southampton's best player. And then I'd argue this season followed by Bella Kochap. I think he's been really good. But you need to score goals in the Premier League. If you look at a club like... Do you not have sympathy for him though? Because he's lost Danny Ings one season. Then he lost Armando Brohat the next season. Yeah. He's like constantly having to chase but, his but, tail. But when it comes I, to I the guess that, that then falls on the owners. Why have they not invested? And that's kind of my point. You can't rely on Shea Adams to score you 15, 20 goals mm. a season because it's just not going to happen. Adam Armstrong isn't good enough to play in the Premier League, in my opinion. So you look at these players they've got and Ivan Tony, he's proven that he can score goals in the Premier League. Callum Wilson does it for Newcastle. Um, you know, you look at the players that, that are out there that could probably have played for Southampton or a club akin to Southampton. Maybe not Wilson now. I think he's gone up a level. But at the time when he was at Bournemouth, could he not have made the switch down the South Coast mm. and gone and played for Southampton and scored a few goals there? I mean, Ings leaving was obviously big. They've had a couple of years to replace him and they've not done it. So, I mean, there are, there are question marks there. I mean, it's hard to know whether he's done a good job, but the statement they released today said that they feel it's the appropriate time mm. to make a change. So maybe it has just run its course. I understand the replacement's already lined up. So the new manager is good to go. I'm pretty convinced it'll be someone we've never heard of because that's the Southampton model. But there's some interesting names in the mix as well. Richard Pochettino is 16 to 1 to take oh, the gig. That would be romantic, wouldn't it? No that's, chance. That's very, very short odds no for chance. the chances of that happening. No, Sean Dyche is on the list as well. So what do you think? Any ideas who might be the new boss? I mean, you're asking the wrong bloke. I think really. they're going to. I, th I feel like it's going to come from like the depths of Germany. Some really young, trendy manager who they're going to try and oh, use again. I also, don't think it's going to be like Dice or Allardyce or anyone like that. Talking of the depths of Germany, can we just then put an end to this theory that Hasenhutl is the Austrian Klopp or the next Klopp? Because he's not. He's nowhere near as good as Jurgen Klopp is. I think <laughs> this is somewhere. Well, I've seen a few people say that he's, you know, he's the next because he came through the RB Leipzig thing, and he's kind of the next up and coming mm. coach. And he, you know, the baseball cap and everything. I just think that's disrespectful to Jurgen Klopp to call Hasenhurt or the the Austrian Klopp or the next Klopp or whatever. I don't think. I, I mean, he's a good coach, but you know, he was talking eighteen months ago about hanging up his boots for want of a better term, putting his clipboard away. He said yeah. he was going to retire after Southampton. I don't know if you remember him saying yeah, yeah. that. So. Maybe maybe 
that is the end of Ralph Hasenhurtle as we know it. I don't know. Domenico Tedesco at Leipzig is one of the names on the list, albeit quite long odds. He's longer than Mauricio Pochettino. Joel, you're quite good on your European football. Is that a manager you're familiar with? Do you, I mean, do they've you only know just his brought work? him in. They've only just brought him in in the summer, so I don't know if that's going to be the case. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if they went for someone like Marco Rose because he's having a little <laughs> bit of a tricky time in Germany. But like you say, Southampton have a real... Mm. They know their strategy. They know who they're going for. It's kind of similar to Brighton in the fact that they don't need to go for these... I don't want to say the depths of the pot of all these English managers <laughs> who they like, well, pick out, but they, they know who they want to go for. I've just looked at the bookies, or one specific bookies, and odds on to take the job, one to two, for, with one bookmaker, is Nathan Jones, who's the manager of Luton, the mm. Welsh the Welsh bloke, um, who has done so well the with Welsh Luton. Bloke. Well, yeah, I mean, anyone will know. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's irritating as it comes. I mean, if you if you thought Jurgen Klopp was whingy in post-match interviews, Jim, you wait until Nathan Jones gets a crack in the Premier League. Honestly, the guy complains like you would not believe. But anyway, he's the Luton manager and you've got to give him credit. He's done really well. He's taken them up through League Two, League One, up to the Championship. He had a little flirt with Stoke. He went there for a couple of months, didn't really work out. Um, uh, so maybe Southampton are taking a bit of a punt by by bringing in Nathan Jones, if it is to be him, I think he's a good coach and he gets his teams playing really good football and he's worked with young players and he's he's done well on a smaller budget with a team like Luton Town. So if that is to be him, an odds-on um, suggestion by one bookmaker, then I'd be really intrigued to see how he gets on because it didn't work out for him at a big mm. club like Stoke. How will it work out for him at a club like Southampton um, as well, if it, if it is to be him? Well... We will keep you up to date with the latest news around the new Southampton boss. Like we say, we believe it's in place already, so likely to be announced anytime soon. If it's announced today, you'll be able to catch up with it on Football Social Daily Shots, which will be out later today on this stream. So make sure you've clicked subscribe. Right, we're going to catch up on those England injuries next with football injury analyst Ben Dinnery. We'll do it next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily. Gareth Southgate is announcing his England squad for the World Cup later on this week. Thursday, he makes that announcement. But there's a few question marks over some key players who may 
or may not make that England squad. To give us the lowdown on whether those injuries are likely to clear up in time for Qatar, we've got Ben Dinnery, injury data analyst, talking to us today. How are you doing, Ben? Yeah, Ben, great guys. How are you? Yeah, really good, thanks. So Gareth Southgate's got a few headaches to overcome before he announces his squad. Few decisions to make as to whether players will or won't be fit in time for Qatar. And you're going to try and give us an idea of whether those players are likely to make it or not. Let's start with Ben Chilwell, who is one of the latest to be added to the list with a suspected hamstring injury. Went off a couple of weeks back now on crutches. Is he looking like he's unlikely to make that plane? Ben Chilwell is looking like he will absolutely not make Qatar. That's a fairly serious setback um, for the defender. Unfortunately, coming off the back of that serious long-term knee problem, you know, this hamstring injury, um, yeah, comes at a very unfortunate time. He's going to spend several weeks on the sidelines, so he will not be available to Gareth Southgate. I mean, considering England are a team with several thousand fullbacks at their disposal, <laughs> it's suddenly looking like bare bones because also there's question marks over Reese James and Kyle Walker. Now, I guess Kyle Walker's the player that there's been question marks as to whether he's going to make it for a while. He's been missing from Manchester City for some time, but Pep Guardiola and Kyle Walker have both said they're quite confident he will be making that England squad. How's it looking for him at the moment? Yeah, so certainly in terms of any domestic football before the break, that's you know it's that's highly unlikely. So the decision will come down to Gareth Southgate on whether he's going to involve a player who has had a very well no competitive football, you know, for several weeks leading up to this tournament. Um, and with question marks over one or two players within that squad, like I say, it, you know, you, the considerations are how many players can you actually carry who aren't, you know, 100%, you know, fully fit, fully match fit. Mm. Um, so, yeah, in terms of his fitness and being injury free, Kyle Walker is a player that should, you know, could certainly feature in the tournament if selected. But it'll come down to that, that little bit of match sharpness and that little bit of conditioning and whether Gareth Southgate wants to take that risk. Do different players adapt differently to that scenario, to the fact that they've not had that run of games going into a major tournament? Does it come down to kind of anything like age or experience or is it purely down to the individual's body? Um, I mean, positional as well. You know, if you consider the type of role that Kyle Walker will predominantly play, um, you know, he's a, he's a fullback that likes to go up and down that line. So fairly explosive, a lot of high intensity sprints with, you know, maybe minimal recovery time so that, you know, you know, those recovery runs. So maybe, you know, with, with Kyle Walker, that's one of those players that he, he likes to feel sharp and he, he needs to be there. But relatively speaking, you know, over the years, he has looked after himself. He is a, a fit guy anyway. So, you know, one of one or two games, you know, he, he may be in a position to, to approach in somewhere near pre-injury levels. But of course, you know, the older they get, the more years and the more miles you've got on the clock, you know, the longer that does actually take. And, you know, at this level, at the highest level, you know, you can't really afford to, to make too many mistakes in these, these big tournaments because you will be punished. Finally, what about Calvin Phillips? Because he's been a long-term absentee injury for City. Before he was injured, he wasn't getting much game time because he wasn't making the selection from Guardiola. But we know Southgate likes him. During the Euros, he was pretty much a, a constant in that midfield alongside Declan Rice. Is he likely to make it in time? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's actually progressing um, a little bit better than Kyle Walker in terms of his fitness. And, and it's a slightly different injury. He is being able to train. He is being integrated with that first team. However, we're still at the stage where, you know, we're not fully 
integrated. It's non-contact. So in terms of baseline levels of fitness, look, Calvin Phillips, I've got that. I can build upon that. But until he gets you know, thrown back into the cut and thrust of, of full sessions and taking those big hits and those contacts. You're never really going to know on how the injury will respond to that. But certainly everything up until this stage suggests that he has progressed and recovered really well. But again, we're talking about a player who hasn't really had any competitive football for several months now. And again, that's a big consideration for Gareth Southgate. Hi, Ben. It's Niall here, mate. Um, I was just Hi, thinking Niall. about this and I don't know whether there's any data that you've seen that backs this up, but it seems like, and I don't know whether it's just because the World Cup is only a matter of weeks away, it seems like we're seeing players pulling up and going down with injury more than we usually would. So I was just wondering, is there anything to do with maybe the mental side of it and the stress and maybe the tension of a player's body who they're almost thinking don't get injured and therefore they're not as relaxed as maybe they would be if they knew they had some recovery time. Is that a theory that that you subscribe to? Is there any evidence to suggest that that might be the case with players maybe being a little bit more tense and actually worrying about getting injured in their minds and therefore that could maybe make the the unthinkable happen? Um, Look, I think it would be difficult for for players to ignore what's been happening before. You know, if you consider the likes of the the Reese James, the Richarlison's, the Hyman Sons, for example, players who've been injured, you know, and, and initially called into question their availability for the tournament. Mm. It's hard to ignore that. Mm. You know, this is the biggest stage. This is a pinnacle of, of your career. And this might be your only, your, you know, your one chance, you know, to play at, at that level. Mm. Um, I mean, what I would say in terms of injury incidents at, at this time of year, and, and yes, it's a, it's a very hot topic. There's a lot of discussions with regards. Up until around about the first 10 weeks of the season, you know, we've seen very little variance in the number of, of injuries compared to season on season over the last couple. But, you know, in the last sort of few weeks, we have seen that spike. But if you can imagine, you know, we are playing in a condensed fixture period. Yeah. So there are more games. There is less recovery time. And just because of the nature of the game, we're picking up more soft tissue and more muscular injuries anyway. And then, you know, if you factor in, you know, you know that, that fatigue effect, And the analogy that we always like to use is, you know, if you can imagine a a tap that's dripping water into a bucket, you know, for the most part, it's absolutely fine. But it comes to a a moment where, you know, that that water level reaches the top and then all of a sudden it overflows. And that's where we see players break down. Mm -hmm. So, again, it's, it's that accumulation of fatigue and it's coming at just the wrong time for a lot of players, you know, heading into this World Cup in Qatar. Are you seeing more contact injuries or more... Um, muscle injuries in general just just it's interesting for me to know where the balance is because it feels like a few years ago the majority of injuries you would see would be from collisions or tackles or anything like that whereas now it feels like there are more players pulling up with muscle injuries off of their own accord I suppose yeah I mean there's been very again very little uh, variance in the number of of reported muscle problems and, and time loss injuries from what we've seen season on season but it's very difficult to look at the you know the data from the last few seasons because you know in isolation they're all we're, we're still doing these unprecedented times whether it was COVID whether it was the shutdown you know whether it was Project Restart um, lack of a preseason you know the shortened version so it's it's very difficult to go like on like but you know inherently we still see you know uh, in terms of hamstring injuries of, of all of those soft tissue tests it still accounts for around about 41 42 percent and that mm. hasn't changed wow. for several years you know so it's 
I guess it's difficult because although everybody likes to to look at the headline numbers with regards to injuries, the reality is you need to to maybe scratch beneath the surface and contextualize everything to get that um, that understanding of the mechanism of injury, how they occurred and, and why they occurred to maybe try and understand has the, the landscape changed in terms of those injuries. Just looking ahead to Qatar, Ben, a lot's been made about the conditions out there, that it's going to be hot, that they're going to be playing in air-conditioned stadiums in some scenarios as well. Is there anything we should be looking out for in terms of any injuries or fitness or conditioning risks whilst they're playing out there? Um, like I say, that you know the biggest risk factors to to any player, um, and, and regardless of whether they're going out to Qatar, is you know you're looking at history first and foremost. So you know if players have a history of of picking up problems, you know that's a that's a red flag. And then also you've got that fatigue issue in and around that. Um, and yeah, you're going to have that that increase in in, in climatic change. And, and players will be going out early, and hopefully, you know they'll they'll try to mitigate the risk associated with. You know that that change of environment, uh, but as you go deeper into the tournament, again it comes down to you know players becoming that little bit of tired, and it's not just about picking up those soft tissue tears because you know your body's fatigued, but also that decision making process. And and you, you you know you referred to that before. Sometimes you're making the wrong decisions, you're not releasing the ball quick enough, and that's when you're starting to maybe pick up those knocks as well. So you know impact injuries potentially could rise towards the end of that tournament. You can find more from Ben on his Twitter account, Ben Dinnery on Twitter and Premier Injuries as well. Ben Dinnery, injury analyst. Cheers for the insight, mate. Yeah, thank you much. Appreciate it. Nice one, Ben. Right, we're going to do our regular Monday feature next. We're going to have a bit of a whinge about the weekend and get something in the sea. We'll do it after this on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Right, let's crack on with Get In The Sea, the final bit of today's Football Social Daily podcast and an opportunity to have a little bit of a whinge about something that happened at the weekend. We've all got something we want to put in the sea. Joel, you can start. What's got your goat this weekend? All right, so before I start, I want to put a little bit of an asterisk to what I'm going to say. Is is is, is I'm speaking through a little bit of bitterness right now. So just like work with me a little bit. <laughs> oh, mine's that as well, funnily enough. Mine's a very bitter <laughs> really? one today. We're in yeah. this together this yeah. morning. Um, it's just... The concept of the new manager bounce. I've been thinking about it a lot on my way to work this morning. And it's just, it's such a phenomenon that I kind of want to go back to uni and study it. 
because it just makes zero sense to me how, for example, in this situation, obviously Villa beat United 3-1. They pretty much played us off the park for large portions of the game. And it's just the fact that six games prior to that, Gerard won one in six with that Villa team. The exact same Villa team. They haven't got no one new. Nobody's just come in and miraculously give them an extra lift. They mm. haven't got a new star sign. It's the exact same team. And yet in yesterday's uh, in uh, yeah, yesterday's game and Sunday's game, they just look like a completely different side. It look I feel like the new manager bounce is the most legal drug in football <laughs> because you can't test for it. There's no physical, tangible substance. It's all psychological. And it kind of really emphasises just how much of an influence managers really do have. Because I think a lot of people sometimes think, oh, it's the players, like, it's the players. But you have to kind of galvanise a group of players. It's about understanding understanding and managing people. Mm. And in this situation, clearly, I think it showed massively just mm. how much Gerard failed with that team. Because now, all of a sudden, Emery, who is a very massive tactician, if yeah. you've seen him in VRA, Played 4-4-2 yesterday. Yeah, which is pretty unheard of nowadays, considering yeah. like 10 years ago, is the the... the Deformations are going. That's it. It's more to do with the ideas, isn't it, than the actual. I mean, buying into it it as well. I don't know. If the new manager bounce was a thing, Watford would be winning the Champions League. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's very momentary, though. The psychological thing, I'm with you because I think that if you look at what happened when Steven Gerrard was sacked, his game before he got sacked, they lost 3 0 away at Fulham and they had a man sent off. And then the game after, they beat Brentford 4 0 with no manager. This was before Unai Emery was announced as the new Aston Villa boss. And I think what it is, is do you think it's an element of just carefree? So like they they know that if they lose to Fulham, the manager's under huge pressure and maybe they've wilted under that pressure. Gerard goes and I think the players know they get a bit of a free hit. So it's like, if we lose to Brentford, we don't have a manager. No one's going to go crazy on us because we don't have a manager and it's expected. So therefore they can just play with this relaxation and this freedom and Mm. they can just kind of express themselves in a way where it doesn't matter if they lose because they don't have a manager so it's really they've only got everything to gain and I I guess maybe that's the psychological side of it from the way I see things it's almost like they're waiting for the inevitable so like you say it's like a a, a pass free card but I think it's just the case of it's a new source of motivation when you've been under a manager like for example I think the biggest example is Tyro Mings you remember when he took the captaincy off him straight Mm, away and it was kind of it was all about Ming's, how he would react to it. And he came out in the press saying, you know, I respect his decision. There wasn't exactly a dis- like a distinct decision for it because I thought he's a pretty good captain for Villa. And then now he's actually playing really well in the last two games. I think it's just the fact of new, fresh ideas, especially for those who are coming from the fringes, because I know every manager has the favourites. They have the players who they want to keep to the side. And then suddenly when a new manager comes in, those players have a lift. They have a new s- source of desire to get into that team mm. again and that's the it's reason like a clean why clean slate it is yeah. an opportunity to prove yourself it becomes from an 11 man team who he consistently starts to suddenly a 22 man team again where everybody wants to prove the new manager right and the new manager is not judgmental everyone's on the same level plenty uh, playing field and that's how it felt i know the uh i know the uk's tried it with the prime ministers lately but it's not really <laughs> given the new bounce that we expected <laughs> but um yeah i think it's just a massive massive psychological phenomenon mm. where motivation is just key as we've seen when um when teams are in relegation battles in the last six games owners would rather punt and try and get that quick lift quick psychological lift and then see what happens and it works usually majority of the time i've got a feeling we're not really putting 
the managerial bounce in the sea. What we're putting in the sea is the fact that Manchester United were the victims of you're the managerial right. yeah, bounce. Right. Right. Yeah, we're coach. the victims of it, basically. <laughs> right, so that's going in the sea for Joel. I'll put mine in the sea quickly as, like I say, it's a bit of a bitter one as well, but I'm putting Newcastle United in the sea today. Really? Yeah. It's not, you know, more shocked that it's... Uh... Not Jurgen Klopp. No, it's not Jurgen Klopp today. (laughs) (laughs) Jurgen Klopp a week's break. But Newcastle United are going in the sea because I'm really annoyed at how well they're doing. And it's frustrating. And to put the ownership to one side for the moment and the idea that they've suddenly got this cash injection and then they've got this oil money and the Saudi state funding them as a football club because that has its own issues attached to it. But in terms of how that football club has been run in the last, well, since the middle of last season, I think they've done a really good job and it winds me up. The fact (laughs) that they haven't spent a huge amount of money. They've spent under £200 million on players that have come in. Wolves have spent more. Nottingham Forest have spent more. They've just got a manager that's come in and knows what he's doing. They've recruited really well. That's the key, recruitment. That's it. And they've just done it. We all thought when that ownership takeover happened and Amanda Staveley came in, we were like, oh, well, she's never run a football club before. We don't really know Mm. how it's going to work out. But they built from the bottom, didn't they? They built, Mm. they got people in that did know football. Yeah. They brought in Dan Ashworth, the technical director who was at Brighton. They brought him into Newcastle. You know, it's not Mandy Staveley pulling all the strings. Mm. I mean, she was... You know, she didn't do a Todd Bowley and just came in and went, I'm doing this, 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 this and this. She, she acknowledges She acknowledged the fact that she's not ever run a club before, as you say, Jim, and she put all the building blocks in place. Yeah, and it's annoying. When I look at my club, West Ham, who get so close to doing stuff properly. You should put your team in the sea. You were shocking against Crystal yeah, Palace. Yeah, we were absolutely shocking. And I think there's some question marks where we talked earlier about Hootle getting the boot. I don't think David Moyes has got you, a whole lot of road left. Do you but, think if you weren't winning every game in the Conference League and flew through to the next stages that Moyes would be under far more pressure. If, yeah. if you were out of the Conference League, I don't think Moyes would have a job. I think there's two things at play here. One is the European results, not the European performances, because we haven't played well in Europe. We've just played very poor opposition and managed to get through. The other thing that plays into it is David Moyes' relationship with the board. And, right. he, and the Davids, David Golden Sullivan, really like the other David, David Moyes, because he allows them to get away with what they do in terms of the running of the football club and the way they want to run it. And I think a more vocal manager might not give him that flexibility. He's also very cheap. Spent a lot in the summer, though. Spent a lot of money, yeah. But spent it well. I think they did did well in terms of the recruitment the players they've brought in. And that's the frustrating thing about David Moyes now is he's not able to get the best out of the players right, that he's right, brought right. in. It I feels like he doesn't know. United, though. Yeah. It yeah. feels like he doesn't so, know what's yeah. going wrong either, Jim. Like I was looking at his post match interview after Palace. I mean, it was a last minute winner from Palace. It could easily have been one one. But that I thought, shouldn't be good enough. No. We should have been beating Palace. I thought I place. thought Palace were better on the day anyway and probably deserved the win. But in his post match interview, it sounded like he didn't really know what was going wrong. And no. that's quite concerning. I think he's out of ideas. I think that's the problem. Mm. It's like, he's an old school manager with old school ideas. He's done a brilliant job. This is getting off topic from putting Newcastle yeah. in the sea. It's I I'm, trying to, I'm trying to persuade you to put New, uh, West Ham <laughs> no, in the sea. I refuse to at the moment. But yeah, it's um, he doesn't. he's an old school manager. He's done a really good job at West Ham. He came in when we needed someone to go in and bang a few heads together and kind of add a stability to that squad. But now I think it feels like West Ham are ready to move on to the next level and they need a more progressive manager that can come in and get the best out of the players that are there because there is a good team. It's the best team I've seen West Ham have could you fall in probably victim a decade. To, could you fall victim to what happened when he left Everton though, which is that he made him a consistent top five side 
Yeah, West, Ham, West Ham haven't been a consistent top five side, have they? Ah, but I mean, going past on the last two seasons, though, they've been really Yeah, I know, close. but two seasons... I think the foundations are slightly stronger at West Ham, though, in terms of where yeah. they are at a club at the moment. And the stadium plays a part of that. The fact that there's 65,000 people mm. every single week coming to that stadium and watching football. We're, we're in a period where there is the potential for growth as a football club. Mm. We've got the European football. I think, we've, like I said, we've got a really good squad of players there. There's a first 11 that should be competing for the top six. And yet we find ourselves in the bottom six. It just doesn't feel right. But no, I'm not putting West Ham in the sea. I'm putting Newcastle You're in the sea. You're under 23s at bottom of the league as well, just <laughs> oh, to, to add insult. Oh good. oh, good. Right, what are you going for, Noel? Let's wrap it up. Um, I found it difficult because actually I, I took in a few games. I took in um, United against Aston Villa on Sunday. And then on Friday night, I watched my own team in the FA Cup. I went down to Hereford to watch uh, Hereford against Pompey. Uh, first round of the FA Cup and obviously Ronnie Radford passed away recently who scored that really famous goal in the FA Cup um, against uh, Newcastle United funnily enough uh, an amazing goal on a muddy pitch 50 years ago this year 1972 and so obviously with the passing of Ronnie Radford and the fact that the game was at Hereford in the first round and whatnot everyone was absolutely desperate for the cup upset everyone was dying to see Pompey get knocked out in the first round We've only ever been knocked out by non-league opposition once in our history, and that was against Aldershot in 2013. And that was a shocker of a game. But we've been pretty comfortable against non-league opposition. And we were. We won the game 3-1. We absolutely dominated, really. The first goal was scored by Hereford after a mistake from us. And I just I felt like nobody wanted Portsmouth to win, which is fine. I get that because everyone watching on on TV, neutral, whatever, wanted Hereford to win. Yeah, they course. wanted the you giant want the underdog to win. Right. But I, I didn't like that. No, it's almost like no one gave my team any credit for being professional and winning the match. Oh, because I watched the coverage after because it was on BBC. And I was thinking, why is no one giving Portsmouth any credit for uh, overcoming what could have been the potentially the biggest banana skin in the FA Cup mm. first round away at Hereford, who... Uh, filled out their ground, Edgar Street. Um, the atmosphere was great. One of their legendary former players who has FA Cup heritage passed away. They were trying to sort of um, honour his memory, I guess, with a performance. Uh, and Pompey took the job to, you know, did the job and um, put them away. You know, and I was a bit annoyed at that. And also, but isn't that just part of being the bigger team? And we talked about this yeah, when England is. play it minnows. It's oh. like nothing but. A but I, do you know what? I think Manchester City fans are feeling a little bit like this as well. I feel like Manchester City fans feel like they don't get enough credit for how good their team is. Mm. And sometimes I feel, I don't know if it's an inferiority complex, or complex, I don't think that's fair, but on social media, not so much nowadays, but certainly the last three or four years before now, I've seen people say, why are none of our players winning the Ballon d'Or? Why are mm. none of our players getting the, why isn't Pep Guardiola the, the manager of the season or whatever? I mean, maybe he has been, but do you know what I mean? I always see this. It's like, you don't need personal accolades to qualify how good your team is you just need to accept it um but yeah it was just a bit strange being on the other side of the coin you know normally um when we play fa cup games against a bigger opponent we're the underdogs but it was the other way around so so yeah i, d I didn't like this whole magic of the fa cup i think it's just getting a bit cringy now i mean i love the fa cup it's mm. one of my favorite competitions but it's just like the first round there's a load of non-league teams in it someone's going to get upset it's going to happen you know it's not exactly magic someone gets knocked out every season Non-league team beats a league team every season it happens. I mean, Chippenham Town, for instance, knocked Lincoln City at the FA Cup on Saturday. Magic of the FA Cup. It's like it's a football match. The chances are that 
a lower team is going to be a bigger team. It's going to happen. So, so there's that. Um, the drummer at Hereford, by the way, the Portsmouth drummer in the away end, he was so drunk. I mean, I never want to see that man near a, <laughs> near a pair of drumsticks again. He was absolutely <laughs> terrible. Nearly shoved one of them up his nostril. It's awful. Um, and then another thing, just because I've got a few things I want to put in the sea. Uh, Donny van der Beek's transfer to Manchester United. It hasn't worked. I would go as far to say it's been borderline a disaster. Yeah. And I think it's the right time for him to leave the club, if not in January, then in the summer for sure, because he started his second game in a row um, against Aston Villa yesterday. And that's the first time in nearly two years he's had back-to-back starts for the club and didn't take his opportunity on either of those performances. Feels like he needs a fresh start, doesn't it now? Well, he went to Everton on loan last season and did absolutely zip there as well. So, mm. I mean, I don't like... I think he needs to go back to Ajax. I don't, yeah, I don't like getting stuck into players. It's just one of those transfers that hasn't worked out. So I think that maybe a, a little bit of either A, poor business or just B, a player that hasn't worked out. So I thought that as much as it's not fair to single out players for special attention when a team's been beaten 3-1 and convincingly so, um, I think that, yeah, that, that's been a poor one. Before we wrap up, just going back to the lack of acknowledgement yes. side of things. Yeah. This has wound me up slightly as well, is the lack of acknowledgement and respect being given to Arsenal at the moment. Oh, for been brilliant. They are still top of the Premier League. That's Two Joel chuckling, by the way, in the background. <laughs> but what I think is really weird about whenever people talk about Arsenal, they're not talked about in terms of being the team that's most likely to win the title, despite the fact they're top of the table at the moment. It's all, can they keep pace with Man City? Can they hold on? Yeah. And they're above Man City in the league. And Man City needed a clutch penalty from Haaland against Fulham. In the 97th minute. I think it's time to start respecting Arsenal and going... They're title contenders yeah, right now. they're the real deal now. Absolutely. And they will push Manchester Joel's City Joel's face way. is a picture. Can't stand it, can you, Joe? Guys, like, you know, we can give them the Winter Premier is, League it, if you know want. What? It's give, give them the Winter Premier League, you know, it's fine by me. History shows us it doesn't matter where you are in, at Christmas, doesn't matter where you are in November, where, where all that matters is that you're there in April time. Even in April time, we remember when Liverpool lost the league in the last three games. <laughs> like City, everyone's forgetting these guys have been winning the league with like 99 or 100 points for the last five years. Yeah, like They have got the depth to absolutely outsprint any team. So Arsenal, I want to see after the World Cup injuries, if they can still maintain this momentum and is, if Arteta's got the minerals while he's got the <laughs> Europa League going on to continue that when it comes to the March time, I'm still unconvinced. Do you know what? I was looking at the fixture list for March and April. I can't remember whether it is March or April. I think it's April. Six Premier League games in April. Mm. Right. Matches. So how, how can we judge it now? How? It's but, insane. So... If they win one of their next two games, Arsenal, that yeah. puts them on 37 points after 15 games. Only one team has ever lost the Premier League after getting 37 points in their You know, this is Arsenal's games. best ever start to a season. I don't buy into this mythology. I don't buy into best ever start to a Premier League season, this for Arsenal. It's a best ever. They've also it's been insane. They've also been top at Christmas before, and we knew that yeah. myth of when you're top at Christmas, you never lose the league. They did it against Leicester in that, in that season. These yeah. records, mm. they mean nothing to me because they're against this, a City side, which is a pretty phenomenon. 
kind of side. Yeah. It's hard to bet it, against It does him. sound like, though, as a Manchester United fan, because you've seen City and Liverpool <laughs> be really good, and now Arsenal mm. are coming back. It feels like a matter of time before United are back in and amongst it. But I it must, bloody hope It must so. be painful for you. <laughs> That's I'm the like, one thing I want to buy into in terms of mythology, because, my God, we damn need it now. <laughs> yeah, Arsenal have been classed, Jim. I, I no, agree. You have to get, I'll give them the props, but I won't give them the flowers yet. In terms of Premier League point totals after 13 games the record are 37 points Man City and Liverpool got that 2017-2019 respectively 35 points after 13 games Man City 2011-2018 34 points after 13 games Arsenal Manchester United 93 season Newcastle 95 season the only team that's ever lost from that position Chelsea 2005 Man United 2006 so out of that list of teams that's nine counting nine <laughs> yeah nine teams that have had 34 points or above after 13 games every single one has gone on to win the premier league bar newcastle in 1995 so let's start respecting arsenal liverpool lost the league with 98 points the reason i know why what you're is, saying Joel, do you get what i mean they're against they're against so a superpower well. it's, not, it's not wrapped up but no, I think no chance you, but the way people are talking about it's it, not I, it's not man city's title yet and that's the way people are talking and it's not arsenal's either though no hell no no, I mean, Arsenal have got, I mean, this is, that's the big test. It, I mean, the big test was when Arsenal lost to United at Old Trafford, were, were they going to respond? They did. When Arsenal next lose a game, and they will next lose a game mm. at some point, it might even be next weekend, who knows? When Arsenal next lose a game, how do they respond to that? That's the key. Yeah. Because last season, they would they were put together strings of wins, and then they'd lose three in a row. And they did the same. They, they played Spurs in the North London derby, lost, missed out on the top four. Arsenal should have got top four last is, That's the biggest point. I st- I'm still, I still want to see if they've got over that psychological barrier because they should have got top four last season. They were in control until, what, the last mm. two games when Tottenham completely gazumped them in the last final hurdle. And also, this, is, this is it. Have they City got, have been how much got bounce back ability? How much respect <laughs> did Chelsea show Arsenal at the weekend as well, by the way? Mm. You Chelsea know, this is an really Arsenal bad. team with like Saka, who's, is he tw- how old Saka? 21? 20, yeah. something like that. Martinelli, young. Jesus, like 26, 27, is the most experienced player in that forward line. And then you've got players for Chelsea who've got hundreds of international caps between them. Just giving them the respect on the ball. And I think Arsenal have forged that for themselves mm. because a year ago, there's no way Chelsea would have allowed Arsenal just to control That's possession and dictate well. the ball like mm. that. No way. Most things put in the sea today. Yeah. <laughs> so The sea's full today. The sea is full. <laughs> and that is it for today's Football Social Daily. Thanks very much for listening. Join us later for Football Social Daily Shots. We we'll, might have some more news on Ralph Hausenhutl. We'll definitely have some news on the Champions League draw, which is happening as we speak. And we'll see you soon. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Step into the world of power, loyalty and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply it's time for today's lucky land horoscope with victoria cash Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. 
Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.